Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here recording this on a Saturday night, uh, just an hour or so after the Bucks beat the Cavs for the second time in two days. A, a nice week, wrapping up a nice week of Bucks basketball. Four straight wins for the Bucks, uh, who now improved to 15 and 8 on the season. That's a season high win streak for Milwaukee. And it wasn't without some drama. The Bucks arriving into Cleveland late after having some plane issues the day before. They were hoping to leave on Thursday. They didn't leave until Friday morning. But I described this on Twitter as a business-like performance for the Bucks to handle a scrappy Cleveland team that's picked up some, uh, certainly some significant wins through the season so far, albeit they are a below 500 team. Uh, joining me to discuss it, uh, it's telling me on Zoom that this is Brian D, a good friend of mine, uh, works with uh, ESPN Milwaukee WTMJ. But no, it is Justin Garcia from the Bucks Radio Network. And Justin, it has been a week since we spoke. The Bucks were coming off uh, that disappointing weekend last weekend. Certainly a different feel around this team. Uh, winning will do that. Uh, certainly much more enjoyable to be having this conversation now than it was a week ago. Yeah, and I guess first and foremost, I hope Ryan doesn't have me thrown in jail for identity theft. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, what a difference uh, a week technically, but really what a difference two days makes where you know, the Bucks had that lost weekend where we spent time talking about the three-point shooting. And I mean, we also need to mention that Pelicans and Hornets are two teams that take a lot and give up a lot of threes too. So you had two teams that were playing into each other's weaknesses over the weekend when uh, the Bucks played both of those teams. So that was, I'm sure, a part of it and compounded it. But uh, to go from that to a dominant win over the Portland Trailblazers, a dominant win over the Indiana Pacers, which, you know, that's the one that I point to the most where that's a good team. <laughs> you know, like we think about the Pacers as this, traditional plotting slow defensive team that they were to Nate McMillan but what we've seen under Nate Bjorkren is a totally different shot profile where they were 29th and 30th last year in three pointers and shots at the rim and they're running away with most shots at the rim and they're in the middle of the pack in three so it's a good offense now and the Bucks you know took them apart defensively and then you did what you were supposed to do against the Cavs, where it's the worst offense in the league. You kept them under 100 points uh, basically twice. I mean, I know they got there in game one, but a lot of that was garbage time. But you did what you were supposed to do, which is important with what you have left with the remaining four games on this road trip. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, we mentioned this before we started recording. And, and Utah, Denver, 
Phoenix and Oklahoma City coming up in the next four games. So winning these two games, which weren't gimmies, and particularly just in general, we know historically it, it is tough to win back-to-back games. And normally these games aren't on the road either. So that's another element to that. But with these four games coming up, and I include Oklahoma City, not only because they're a really competitive team, but on game six of a road trip within one week, uh, you know that's going to be a tough one to pick up. So no doubt about it, just from the perspective of the standings, the Bucks really needed to get both of these games and they handled them. As I said, it was businesslike. Once it got to the second half, Cleveland were hanging around and Milwaukee were able to push away in those second halves. Now 15 and eight on the season, second in the East. They have a two game gap on both Boston and Brooklyn, which again, with these games coming up, might be a little bit handy here. And we keep talking about it. And we've seen again with Brooklyn and Kevin Durant, not, you know, just a weird situation there. You just don't know what with player availability this season. So you have to take advantage of some of those games. Uh, incredibly, the Bucks now on the season uh, are actually up to eighth defensively, which is... Honestly, it is quite a remarkable stat to really read and look at. But again, as you pointed to, that's the advantage of playing some teams that aren't exactly fearsome uh, offensively. And I know you mentioned uh, the Pacers certainly have been a different look team this year. They've had a different feel for them. And when I spoke in the preview for the Pacers game, I mentioned some of their shooters. Uh, but overall, the last three games in particular, and even Portland, who were certainly shorthanded without one of their great shooters in CJ McCollum, the, the Pacers ranked 19th in the league for three-point attempts per game, and Cleveland ranked 30th for three-point attempts per game. And the Cavs in this back-to-back, only 17 threes combined over the two nights, uh, only six in the Saturday night game, uh, 11 in the Friday night game. And look, they went on a couple of stretches there. Certainly early, they hit a couple in a row on Friday night. Then they hit a couple in a row in the third quarter. And it's honestly just the anxiety reflex now, I I think, for Bucks fans and all of us when we're watching these games. As they hit a couple of threes in the third quarter, I saw some tweets like, oh boy, here it goes again. And I remember looking at the box score and it certainly mentally felt like the Cavs were shooting a lot more threes than they were. But they only had 10 and it was halfway through the third quarter. So overall... Those two teams aren't exactly the franchises you expect to challenge the Bucs defensively. So again, with this road trip coming up, uh, you are going to see a real challenge. And we'll see. I mean, this is going to be truly difficult to pick up some of these wins. And uh, so just in general, some of the teams that have a great home court advantage. Uh, before we wrap up the talk on the defense, I did just want to mention Brook Lopez uh, quickly here. And, and he's been a guy that's been a little bit polarizing, I would say, uh, for the fans through the start of the season this year. He hasn't quite had the same dominance defensively. I know Mike Budenholzer going back a couple of weeks ago mentioned that he thought that just with the shortened offseason, perhaps uh, he's going to be one of those players that will need some time to run into form. He had seven points and five rebounds uh, in the second of these games and had 13 points and six rebounds in the first one. The one thing I'll say... Because again, I think we've all sort of got this in our head that the drop coverage is not good. It's not a good defense. I just continue to remind everyone that was the number one ranked defense in the regular season the last two years. And the reason why you saw a lot of drop coverage against a team like Cleveland is because with Andre Drummond on the floor, that's what you're going to see. That's the smart coverage. Andre Drummond is not threatening threatening you anywhere outside of the paint. And I honestly think with the Cavs' kind of reluctance to shoot those threes from the outside. You saw a hell of a lot of mid-range shots. You saw a hell of a lot of floaters. And by design, 
and by what the Bucks want to give away, those are the most difficult shots or some of the most difficult shots to take. So I just thought defensively the Bucks were smart in this game against Cleveland in the back-to-back. It's a team that really suits them defensively. They can go back to that base coverage. And I thought Brook Lopez was fine. I thought he was in the right spots. We know he's a really fine defender. And ultimately, they really limited what Cleveland were able to do. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting game because I know um, I know it was brought up before the game to Bud and to uh, J.B. Bakerstaff as well, um, talking about his guys in uh, Sexland and Darius Garland and, and, and Colin Sexton about how they really attack somewhat the mid-range, but it's the floaters when they're getting into the paint, and that's what they did well. And, you know, we know that's what this defense – is built to give up. And I know our friend Eric Name and, and Seth Partnow did a piece on that and really examining this defense. You know, there was times where uh, it looked like, boy, why do they keep running the drop defense here when you know that's playing into the hand of Colin Sexton's going to come around that screen and he's just going to get the floater here. But, you know, I, I the difficulty this year is, and, and a lot has been made of this, that when you look at the defenses this year, and as you mentioned, the Bucks. oh, by the way, went from what, I think 16th all the way up to 8th now in a span of like three games. But when you look at the defenses last year, the Bucks and the Toronto Raptors were basically the two best defenses, and there was a gap between the Bucks and the Raptors, and then there was a gap between the Raptors and three through, I don't know, like 15 or so. This year it's been... Kind of a similar story, but it's not the Bucks and the Raptors. And they've been towards the bottom for times this season, um, basically because they're the teams that have traditionally taken away the paint and giving up three-point looks. And this year, it's the Lakers and Rockets, and then you see the gap. And it's all teams that uh, are giving up, not like giving up easy shots at the rim, but they're kind of in, in the middle where they're anywhere from you know 15th to – 25th or so in terms of what they give up at the rim, but they're not giving you any three-point shots. Games like tonight, to me, are why you want to build the defense like that when this is a Cleveland team that isn't going to take a whole lot of shots. Well, you don't want to aid them and take a whole lot of three-point shots. You don't want to aid them and get them going where if they're going to hit these tough floaters and these mid-range shots, fine. You know they're already not going to take threes, so we're not going to help them out, and I know Cleveland did get a lot of points in the paint, but we're not going to give you those easy looks at the rim. And I, I mean, I just keep coming back to, I understand why there's a lot of consternation over giving up these three-point shots, and it does seem like the league has kind of turned on its head this year with those defenses and defensive ratings we just talked about on how it's flipped, where the best teams last year are towards the middle now this year and kind of vice versa. But I do wonder if we're going to see another shift once you get to the postseason and when you just have to make stops in the half court, if that is going to swing back to favoring teams like the Bucks and potentially Raptors, where you still want to limit the three-point shots. But if we're seeing something that's more a product of the regular season and then once you get to the postseason, you want to be at least in the middle in both of those categories. This episode is brought to you by 1010. Now, you may have read about this in New York Times, in Style Magazine, or Forbes, and we're excited to tell you about it. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring. They're available now exclusively at BlueNile.com, and when they're gone, they're gone. 
We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people. And with 1010, it's been beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're ready to mark a special commitment or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Again, this exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings is now available exclusively at BlueNile.com. We're covering everything you need to know about the Milwaukee Bucks, but what about the rest of sport? Now, the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski of Locked On Packers, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, overall, the Cavs over the two games averaged uh, 60 points in the paint, which, you know, historically, if you look at the Bud uh, Bucks, that is a huge number. But you just knew that they weren't going to be able to make it up from the three-point line uh, because, again... Uh, they aren't a team that takes a lot, and they aren't a team that makes a lot. And just for reference, and, and again, I totally agree. Sometimes you saw Colin Sexton, and you think that he's taking easy shots when he comes around that screen and gets downhill. And certainly there was a couple of times where he got to the free throw line. And look, he's really proven himself this year as a fantastic player, a fantastic finisher, even though he is a smaller guard. But overall, over the two games, he was 10 for 26 from two-point range. And a big reason for that was because he was taking the shots that the Bucks wanted him to take. Those floaters are not an easy shot. That's why they are generally frowned upon from teams throughout the league. And certainly, you know, Bud has spoken about the floater as a, as a shot. And I referenced it in the first game. Brim Forbes actually has a kind of nice floater he pulls out from time to time. And I sort of made the joke that, well, he spent a couple of years with Tony Parker in San Antonio, who was, you know, perhaps, or maybe it's it's not even arguable, the best exponent of the floater. Uh, but just not a lot of guys pull that out anymore because the degree of difficulty is so high. And I thought the Bucks did a pretty good job of forcing the Cavs into some difficult shots over the course of these two games. And I think offensively, you just knew that in that first game where the Bucks were just 7 for 22 from three and they still managed 123 points, you just didn't think that the Cavs were going to have enough firepower in game two. It proved to be that way. 16 for 34 from three for the Bucks. And what about Bryn Forbes? He is having one hell of a shooting season. I know at times, perhaps earlier in the season, it felt like Bryn Forbes was uh, missing a few shots or struggling a little bit, just trying to find his rhythm, find his place figure out where he's supposed to be in the offense. But boy, the last week or so, he has really figured that out. And it seems that every shot he takes from the outside in particular is a good one. He was six for six in game two. He had 18 points. Uh, He's been on a real tear. And the stat that I looked up uh, at halftime, actually, when he was knocking down all those threes, uh, was from NBA.com tracking data. And Bryn Forbes uh, coming into this game, into the second game, he had attempted 84 three-point shots 80 of those were classified as wide or wide open and he was hitting over 46 percent on those i'm trying to think i would probably suggest all six tonight were would be wide or wide open they haven't updated the data yet as we are doing this podcast that would be 86 out of 93s have come wide or wide open and obviously his six for six performance tonight is going to help that he's probably going to be up near 50% now on those. Uh, He's too good of a shooter to do that. I mean, this is a guy that's been shooting over 40% in San Antonio, and he hasn't been getting the same luxury that he's going to be afforded 
playing next to Chris Milton, Drew Holiday, Giannis. Uh, he's just getting wide open looks and taking advantage of them. And honestly, he's become a guy that when he has the ball in his hands in those catch and shoot scenarios, you're, you're surprised when he doesn't knock it down. Yeah, and you know it's interesting. We talked about this uh, on my post game show earlier tonight, which uh, by the way I did with your friend uh, and my friend too. But uh, our guy Pratik Patel was on the oh, show, yes. and he's going to be on the next few with me on the West Coast uh, road trip as well. Um, but it was interesting because uh, Kyle Corver has been in the news because uh, you know he was asked about, "Are you retired?" and gave this long-winded answer. Of, Uh, I'm not sure yet. I haven't signed the paperwork. I kind of like being at home with my family, but we'll see. And what Bryn Forbes is doing now is basically what, and I think it goes back to why we said at the start of the year, this does seem like it's a better team and at least they have better shooters because what Bryn Forbes is doing now is basically the ideal scenario of what you hoped you would get from Kyle Korver a season ago. There's going to be open shots and hit those shots when uh, when they're made available and not only that but uh, as you pointed on the the floater and just the mid-range shots as well where Brent Forbes it seems like once he knocks down a, a three or a couple of threes in a game that he gets more comfortable and that's when we see that floater or that mid-range shot where he's shooting and basically it looks like he's hopping off of one foot taking the shot and he's just able to create more than just the stationary catch and shoot three which he's he's very good at but it seems like this is what we had hoped we would get from Kyle Korver last year. And this just, you know, it, this is why the offense is flirting with historic levels of an offensive rating, which we're going to continue to see broken year after year. But this is why the offense is even better than it was a season ago, because it's, you know, twofold that Giannis spent a lot of time talking about it. I think after the first Cavs game or the Blazers game or the Pacers game, where he's become much more cerebral and he's really figured out okay, here's how I need to attack when they do this. And, and think about all the plays we've seen Giannis make at the top of the key in just the last week alone. But he still needs teammates to hit the shot. That We saw him set up a lot of the same looks last year. The Bucs just weren't hitting that shot as frequently as they are this year. And now you feel like you're confident you have better shooters. And, and the comparison I made was the Bucs have shooters this year. Not to say they have the best shooters in the league, but they have shooters. And last year and, and years prior, I would say – they had guys that could shoot. They weren't necessarily shooters, but yeah, they, they can knock down a shot every once in a while. And this year it's different. And that's why the offense looks so much better despite Giannis, you know, having nights where he's under 20 or scoring around 20. And again, I know our friend Eric wrote that piece over, Hey, Giannis's numbers are down this season. Does it matter? Well, as we see, no, because right now he has guys that when he sets them up, they're making that shot. Well, the Giannis conversation is an interesting one. And, you know, I, I discussed it on the, the last podcast. I guess it must have been Friday. But, yeah, his numbers are down. But, I mean, he's averaging 27, 11, and 6, you know? I mean, it's, it's just... It's, it, they're still very good. They're just not, holy cow, these are amazing. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. That's the bar that Giannis sets. And, uh, you know, I, well, the one thing that I've found or certainly felt watching Giannis over the last week or so and it all ties, all this ties in together. We've had many discussions about uh, how, where he fits in this offense. Uh, occasionally, sometimes the ball's not in his hands where it has been in previous years. And certainly his usage is down uh, from the first couple of years with Bud. And that's probably why the numbers you've seen drop, particularly from last year. Uh, the Bucks 
had the ball in Giannis's hands all-time high. His usage percentage was up around 37%, which is obviously a ridiculous number. And that's come back because the Bucs have more options, but I think because they also realize they need to try some different things. It can't always just be give the ball to Giannis and go figure it out. And I just think that he's been so patient over the last week. He's been looking for either the best shot for him or the best shot for a teammate. That's why we've seen those assist numbers come up, certainly over the last couple of weeks. And I think that he seems to have found a piece within himself of, okay, I don't need to score 30 points every night. I can still have a humongous impact on this game by scoring 25 and having eight assists instead of scoring 30 and only two or three assists, as we've seen many, many times over the last couple of years. So I love the way that Giannis is playing. We saw him try to score in a variety of different ways in the paint again. And I kept on thinking about the conversation he had post-game when, and this was going back, I believe, the Brooklyn game. And and I asked him about his hook shot and, and why he pulls this out in certain games, but not so frequently. And he spoke about the fact that when he's getting guarded by different centers, that can shot block, he thinks that he needs to go to his post moves a little more often. Obviously, coming up against Andre Drummond the last couple of games, uh, he felt that with Drummond's size, uh, he can block a shot or two. I wouldn't say, I mean, he's not Rudy Gobert down there or Miles Turner, but we saw Giannis in the post working a little bit. And it's kind of interesting because sometimes you obviously get the feeling that he doesn't feel like he needs to even bother going to the post package against most teams because he can just score around them. But I still like seeing that variety in his offense against some of the uh, the elite defenders in the league. And it's it's fun to see that he's got that in him. It's fun to see him trying those things. And again, he was pretty effective across these two games. Uh, 24 points on 15 shots in game two and 33 uh, in 25 field goal attempts, which is a lot for him in the first game, but 33 points and 12 rebounds in that one. He was, he was really able to get what he wanted in these two games. And I think we're seeing more of that as the season rolls on. Yeah, and I mean, especially against uh, Jared Allen, which I mean, if hey, Jared you, Allen, yeah, great point. And and I mean, I I don't think the Locked On Bucks listeners are the casual fans, but if this was really your first in time seeing Jared Allen for extended flashes, you realize, yeah, everything I've heard about him, this guy does look very promising. But it was interesting where Jared Allen in these two games defended him very well, which shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, he's one of the better rim protectors in the league. But you did notice as the game went on, it was like Giannis was starting to figure out, okay, here's what I should do, and here's how I should attack him. And there was a couple of times on the fast break where Jared Allen uh, either blocked Giannis or really forced him to alter his shot. And then there was that stretch in the fourth quarter, especially, where Giannis just said, okay, screw this. I'm just going in the block, and I'm going to bully him. And there was a sequence where when, when the Cavs had both Jared Allen and Andre Drummond on the floor, he did that and just overpowered both of them and had a dunk where it's, it's just all part of the package where he's starting to figure out, all right, when they show this, I should do this. When they do this, I need to go that way. And that, you know, as we talked about, we want to see different looks from the Bucks on offense and defense, and we want to see him do more switching, and we want to see him try different things. I mean, I don't think we really mentioned that a lot with Giannis, but that should be up there. And it's something that at least in the last – you know, somewhat all season long, but especially in this last week, you've really noticed some of the little changes and little adjustments that Giannis is making as well. All right, Justin, let's talk about betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over. 
But NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Uh, I know I've got a few friends over the years that have bet on Survivor, but you can go and check that out. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today using the code Locked On for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's code Locked On for 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. And then, of course, we have to talk about my favorite Super Bowl snack, my favorite snack when I'm on betonline.ag. Just my, my general pre-workout snack. It's Built Bar. And Justin, you sent me a photo from before the game tonight. You were having a Built Bar in at the studio. Uh, we know Frank's been into them. I'm into them. You're into them. Uh, uh, we've seen some of the listeners the last few weeks. They've been sending me photos. They've been eating the Built Bars. I love it because it generally is a good snack. There's 18 amazing flavors. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew. The Built Bar is uh, great for the health-conscious guy. And uh, look, uh, I know a high percentage of our listeners are into that. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. And the deal we've got is still a beauty. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON, 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Betting on the NBA doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks and quick hitting advice to make the smartest possible wages. Subscribe to Locked On Bets, brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get your podcasts. I wanted to bring up Dante DiVincenzo because uh, I mentioned this probably halfway through the first game when Dante was uh, knocking down a few threes and, and after a bit of a scratchy start to that game, he was working his way into it. And the one thing that I really love over the course of probably the last three or four games has been the increased aggression from Dante and what feels like the Bucks looking to get him going a little bit more. Uh, Mike Budenholz was asked about this prior to a game. It might have been the Indiana game. And he said that it's not by design. They're not specifically looking for Dante any more than usual. But regardless of whether they are or they aren't, I love the fact that they're letting Dante play through some mistakes because uh, we've seen the Bucs over the course of the last two regular seasons play it safe. Uh, They've done what has worked for them. They haven't veered away from that too often because they know that uh, largely that's going to bring them a win. We've also seen that that predictability and that consistency is fantastic for the regular season. Perhaps doesn't really work out during the playoffs. And I still truly believe that Dante DiVincenzo is going to be a guy that can lift the ceiling of this team come playoff time. He's only in his third season. I think that that's easy to forget uh, that he is still so new. And he's come into the NBA in a really, really damn good team where he probably hasn't had the opportunity to play through the mistakes as much as some other young players around the league. And we're seeing that. I think he's shooting 40% from three uh, right now. That's fantastic. We hope that it stays at that level. He's had nights where he scores a lot. He's had nights where his scoring isn't quite there. We've seen him facilitate. We've seen him have some turnovers. It's a bit of a mixed bag, and you don't really know what you're going to get from Dante, but I just love the fact, and I just wanted to bring it up, I love the fact that they're playing through Dante. They're letting him 
try and develop those skills because again, this isn't something that is necessarily being tied to a Mike Budenholzer team is letting younger guys uh, run the play. And he could have faded into the background playing with the five starters in this team and just take wide open catch and two threes and do nothing else. But he's not letting that happen. He's always been an aggressive player. And I love the fact uh, that they are giving him the chance to work through all this because again, I think they're going to need him in the play in the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, I guess the luxury about Dante is we, you know, we we obviously remember the start he had to the season, and as uh, I think we've talked about before too, it it wasn't just the six games to open the season. I mean, he played; he was starting to play well towards the end of the regular season before things shut down. He had a couple of good games once the bubble seeding game started, and he closed the playoffs very well too. So. Really, the last, what, like 30 or so games that Dante played in, and including those first six to start this season, you've definitely seen some marked improvements from him. Um, you know, I, I think oftentimes we probably got a little overzealous, especially the last couple of years. But during this six-game stretch, too, where you saw Dante, you know, everybody loved to compare the numbers to uh, Bogdanovich's numbers. And you were thinking, man, the Bucks really won here. Dante is going to be a 15-point-a-game score. But the reality is – He's not, and not to say he can't be, but it's just because that's not what this team needs right now, that he's, for all intents and purposes, replacing Wesley Matthews' production. So what he's doing now with uh, the average of, what, 10 points a game is really what this team is going to ask him. It's just the three-point shooting that you pointed out, where he's changed it to take a little more threes, only take threes and attack the rim, which is basically what he's done his entire career. But this week, it does seem like, you know, one of the knocks where people would pick apart is Dante has the ability to attack the rim. You just wanted to see him start to finish more at the rim, that that was one of the issues with him in the first couple of years and early on in this year, too. But he's starting to finish at the rim more. And look, if he can continue to shoot 40%, you'll absolutely take that. As long as he can be like a 37% three-point shooter, uh, that's all you're going to ask out of him. Because, you know, we look at what Wesley Matthews did last year. Dante's shooting at a higher pace right now. So if he can replicate that, that's ideal because we've seen him have big moments in the playoffs. And you're going to need that again, as you pointed out, where, you know, there's going to be games where it's going to be Dante that has the open shot. Or depending on the opponent and what their defense is, they're going to be schemed to, okay, we want Dante DiVincenzo to be the guy that beats us. And, you know, if he can have these incremental gains throughout the season and have these moments where even when he does struggle, you have to keep him on the floor for no other reason than your rotation. I think that's going to be huge for him going into the playoffs. Yeah, forget the points per game. You know, I mean, we we just we discuss it, uh, and it's always fun when you see him scoring well. And certainly, when he had that streak to start the season in double digits, it was exciting. And, and you're right, you did point to it and think, well, geez, where is the ceiling for him this season? But ultimately, as the season's worn on, we're probably back where we thought we were going to be at the start of the season. That, as you pointed to, Justin, when you're playing in a starting lineup with Giannis, Chris, Drew, and Brooke, and Brooke's a victim of this as well. His scoring's down, and it's going to be down because those other three guys are just so important. I mean, even Drew, because I think people assumed, okay, this guy that can score around 20, he's going to do this, when the reality is, I mean, yeah, Drew can do that, but Drew is... You know, taking Eric Bledsoe's plate here at the table that Bledsoe scored around 15, that's what the room is going to be for Drew Holiday. Sure, he's going to have games where he scores 20 or 25 or more and takes over. I mean, tonight was one of those games where he got going. The game against the Pistons was another one. He has that ability, but on a nightly basis, 
it, it's it's going to be you're asking him to do less than he was asked to do in New Orleans. You know, he's he's a role player right now, and he's playing an important role for this team. And uh, you know, those types of players make mistakes. He's learning, he's developing. Let's let it. Let's enjoy it. Let's watch it. Let's have fun watching Divincenzo uh, fill his role on this team because he's certainly one of uh, the exciting players. And let's be honest, we haven't had a lot of young guys to really follow through as as we've watched the Bucks the last few seasons. That hasn't been something that's there. So personally, uh, I love what we're seeing from Dante here the last week or so. And uh, yeah, he's going to have rough games. He'll anyway have nights like he did the other night where he had 16 points. And I sense a big Dante game in the, in the playoffs. Uh, they could swing the tide of a series because he's that type of player. And again, we always point to it, but he's had big moments in college basketball before as well. So he's not going to shy away from that. Uh, I guess really the, the one other point from the weekend that I wanted to, to really point out before we, we wrap this up was Drew Holiday. You mentioned him offensively. I thought he was super aggressive uh, in certain stages through these two games. And it just had me thinking about the Bucs and mismatch hunting. I don't necessarily think this has been a feature of their game, again, because they play a certain way and they don't deviate away from that too often. Uh, I love the way that Drew Holiday really attacks. And it's kind of funny to mention this because I want to say that Drew Holiday was really aggressive uh, on Garland and Sexton, two smaller guards, because he knew that he was simply too strong. But then again, we saw him against Torian Prince and he really bullied his way to the basket on him as well. This is kind of just who Drew Holiday is. But there's one thing that he does do is he really hunts those mismatches on offense. He knows where he can score. He knows he can get any shot he wants. And there was times in these two games where he was drawing three or four defenders driving to the basket. And again, it's just refreshing and a new element to this offense that, as we keep pointing out, has been number one ranked for efficiency all season long. He's a massive part of that. Even as you said, uh, the 16 points per game is kind of modest. He's really changed everything that this team is is doing. And I think the more we watch him, the more we love him, the more thankful we are on this team. It, I mean, it continues to be amazing to see what Drew Holiday does in the paint and how he just – and it's not even guards. It's anybody that defends him, how he overpowers him and the way he can finish with both hands. It, it's – it's. I mean, we talked about it on the show uh, tonight that I did on uh, WTMJ and ESPN Milwaukee that, you know, um, mentioning Bobby Portis and how he's probably exceeded expectations for a lot of fans. And, um, you know, had it not been for this guy named Drew Holiday, you would think, man, he's the newcomer of the year for the Bucks. to which I, I pointed out, look, I know Bobby Portis has played well. It's not even close because uh, Drew Holiday has just been so amazing where we knew you were getting a good player, but, you know, it's, it's the same thing where we talked about him being underrated with New Orleans. Once you see him on a nightly basis, you realize, holy cow, this guy is really good at doing this, and why don't more people know about him? So uh, I just continue to marvel at everything that he does on a nightly basis here, where in terms of the statistics in the box score, he's not having a huge impact on the game, but that's just not the case when you watch. And the final thing that we, we didn't point out here, but we'd be remiss not to, um, I know it's four games, but I mean, Giannis is basically shooting 80% on free throws in this stretch. Well, you've just done it now. <laughs> so here comes, here comes the two for 13 game now on Monday night. Oh boy. Well, you know, they are playing Denver. I don't know. What, what effect does the altitude have on free throw shooting? Is that, is there a scientific study on that? I would assume it helps, but I don't know. Hmm. All right. Well, that's the next game on the schedule. Uh, like I said, we are recording this on Saturday night. 
But this is basically going to double up as Monday's pod. Uh, I'm not recording on Super Bowl day. I'll, I'll be working at the tennis anyway. It's day one of the Australian Open, but trying to get someone to record with me literally during the Super Bowl doesn't seem like that would be an exercise I'll have much luck on. So this is basically Monday's pod whenever you are listening to this, but there will be back or we will be back uh, post-game for that Denver game. As we mentioned, Justin, this is going to be a difficult week and we might be having some uh, frustrated conversations. Uh, I don't want to uh, strike anyone's anxiety this early in the week, but Utah, again, I think they had another franchise record. I think now they've shot 20 plus threes eight times this season, which is just absolutely absurd. So that's terrifying if you're a Bucks fan, but we'll see. They're 15 and eight right now. They've won four in a row. And again, you know, there was a little bit of frustration, not only with the fans, not only with us, but it was in the locker room as well. DJ Augustine admitted that. A few of the players said that there was a bit of frustration around. They weren't playing at the level they were at. So overall, it's fun. It's been a fun week. Fun to pick up four wins and be sitting seven games over 500. It's a nice spot to be in, uh, sitting up there at the top of the East in uh, second spot. Yeah, I mean, don't look now. They're, what, a game and a half back of the 76ers? And, you know, as we mentioned, the offense there and the defense starting to creep up there. I mean, that's – look, uh, I mean, we don't expect them because of all the changes. And I, I actually talked about this on my show with George Stevenson the other day. But the, the defense, it's going to be time. It's going to be a work in progress here. And, and we talk about all the changes that the roster has undertaken here and people will point to the offense and say, well – how big of a deal is it if the offense is playing even better than it was a season ago, but the defense is just much more cerebral and it's reactionary and you have to break habits and, you know, guys are used to switching or guys are used to helping out. And we've heard Drew Holiday talk about that. And just as little things like how Drew Holiday defends the pick and roll versus how Eric Bledsoe did. All of that is why it's going to take time. But if this team can finish, I mean, it's not asking much. Even if they can be a top 10 defense, that's all you're looking for as you head into the playoffs. No question. That's kind of what I've been interested to see at how long it would take or what stage of the season they would crack uh, that top 10. They have done that now, as I mentioned at the top, sitting at eighth. Uh, certainly some scheduled help with that there, but we'll see. This week's going to be a challenge, as I mentioned, t- taking on some of the real contenders in the West. So we'll be with you guys uh, right throughout that. Uh, I'll be around. Who knows? Who knows when I'm going to be around? These West Coast games uh, don't really match up too well with my work schedule, but we'll figure something out. We'll be able to work something out. The show will still be here Monday to Friday. Uh, Stay safe. Enjoy the Super Bowl if, if you're watching. If you're watching, I don't want to trigger anyone. We'll be back after the Denver game. Stay safe. Speak to you guys then.